Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you as we approach kickoff in Lincoln, Nebraska. Noon Eastern, Penn State will face the Cornhuskers for the first time since 2017. Uh, that was a matchup that featured 100 total points in Beaver Stadium. We'll look back at that in just a moment with Brian Christofferson. It was some some memories from that matchup. It was a strange time for Nebraska as they were already seemingly transitioning to Scott Frost, although there was another game on their schedule. And we saw Saquon Barkley do some special things that night as well. Brian brought that up in our conversation. Uh, Brian is the uh, Nebraska beat writer for 24-7 Sports. He's been covering the Cornhuskers since 2007. So uh, a lot of insight coming your way from him about what Penn State is dealing with on the football field. And this is another team where the Cornhuskers, where the fan base is feeling pretty angsty right now as well. Uh, quarterback concerns. They still have not named a starting quarterback. And we're on Friday morning as we record this now. Probably not going to hear who their quarterback is until Saturday. Um, and additionally, uh, not doing too hot in the field. Seven of eight conference games they have lost going into this matchup. But our focus will be on Penn State in just a moment. But we start with an individual player development that popped up on Wednesday evening following Penn State's practice session and our media session with James Franklin. Very unfortunate news. And uh, this, to me, is, is the biggest gun punch of them all. We've talked about a series of those coming in the direction of Penn State fans and the Penn State football community during recent weeks and months. But this one just stings differently. Uh, Sean, Journey Brown's football career is over, not just his Penn State football career, his entire football career is done. One of the phenom risers in college football during the final five games of the 2019 season. A lot of NFL draft expectations climbing as he approached this redshirt junior season. The first game week that we encountered here in 2020, we were notified he would not be available for an undefined period of time due to an undisclosed medical condition. We now know that is a heart condition. We now know that we will not see Journey Brown in an any Lions uniform again. Yeah, and that sucks. I mean, it's just the worst possible news that you could have thought with something like this. I mean, obviously, you know, it, it catching it may have saved his life, obviously. But at the same time, I mean, this is a kid that had everything in front of him. We had such high hopes for Journey Brown, not even in a Penn State uniform, but, you know, being one of those top running backs on the board in, a, in an eventual NFL draft and, you know, getting back. And, you know, he's been He's been through a lot in his life, you know, outside of football, you know, but it's just, it's one of those things. It's just, man, you could see the heartbreak, you know, in James Franklin talking about it, in Jaywan Sider, who talked about it this week, just absolute gut punch, um, you know, and, and really one of those ones that is kind of on a different perspective. I mean, we talk about losing recruits, we talk about losing games and, uh, you lose the opportunity for, for Journey Brown to, to play the game he loves and to eventually, you know, have that sort of, uh, 
generational earning power ahead of him in the NFL. And now that's all out the window. I mean, there's there's not much you can say. I don't want to spend too much time on this because there's not much you can say other than this sucks. Uh, I'm glad they caught it. Um, it's the same thing that Nana Asidu had a couple of years ago. Same thing that took that, the life of Hank Gathers, a uh, legendary college basketball player. Um, but it's just, uh, it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. There were two heart conditions from that freshman class back in 2018 with Nana, as you mentioned, and then Jordan Minor, defensive back for Penn State, uh, that, that were detected and ultimately derailed the college careers of those kids before they got going. Uh, unfortunately here, Journey Brown seemed to be just on the precipice of uh, of really taking the next step. We're going to talk about our conversation with Jaywan Sider in, in a second here, but but he said unequivocally that he felt like Journey Brown was primed to step up as the best running back in college football. He felt that way going into preseason camp. He said he will go to his grave thinking that way, that, that Journey Brown had that kind of year ahead of him. And, and the football stuff is hard to swallow, but the, 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 just the human aspect here, Journey Brown, uh, as Jay Wan Sider said, as we've heard players talk about um, in the past when, when Journey was making his rise and then Journey was sidelined, he, he lights up a room. He, he, he's kind of got that light air about him, which says something considering he has dealt with some significant loss in his life off the field. And, um, you know, he, he is involved right now as, as assisting Jaywan Sider. Jaywan said it's very important to keep Journey Brown having an agenda on a daily basis because, like any of us, uh, when you're dealt some devastating news, and I don't think any of us have been really dealt this kind of, uh, devastating news in our professional lives and what we can achieve with our professional lives and the money that's off the table and the experience that's off the table now for Journey Brown. You don't want to sit at home alone. It's not where you want to be. So they're trying to keep him engaged. He's been working a lot with younger players, the two freshmen, Keziah Holmes, Kevon Lee, after practice sessions. And um, it just sounded like, though, Jaywan Sider said he went from the track kid to a football player to a phenomenal football player who was really putting it all together in the film room from the X's and O's standpoint. Uh, just all the all around, everything you need from a running back who can give you everything he's got every play. Uh, Jay Wan Slater saw those pieces coming together, and it's hard to remember, you know, just going into last season, he had nine total touches in his career for 53 yards, Sean, and and he just so blew up that narrative of, of, of will this kid get it together, or is he just a, a ridiculous high school story, and by the way, we're talking about an all-time world-class athlete, I know what he did on the football field at Meadville, that one game where he had 10 touchdowns, 700-plus rushing yards, let's not forget, a two-time state champion in the 100 meter dash and as a senior broke the record of Leroy Burrell an eventual Olympic gold medalist yeah and I think going back to what we see right now I think he's a guy that would have masked a lot of the deficiencies on that offense this year I mean no no disrespect to the guys that are out there at running back right now but they're not journey I mean it's just uh, it's it's painfully obvious we saw uh, a situation like that with Saquon Barkley running behind an offensive line that frankly wasn't that good, um, but still he did some special things and he had the kind of speed and talent and athleticism, all that kind of stuff to get away from that. And I think, you know, you, you put Journey Brown on this team, it, it's a fairly different team. And I don't think that that's a stretch at all, to be honest with you. So, uh, and I know the situation has been as such where you lose Journey, okay, you've got Noah Kane, then you lose Noah Kane on the first drive of the season. And now you're looking at Devin Ford, a guy that, you know, obviously, isn't built, you know, or hasn't been built up to handle all the carries. And then you've got two freshmen. I mean, it's just a, a struggle. We talked to Jaywan Sider about that this week. Um, you know, he mentioned that uh, Noah Kane, he's, he's pretty angry with uh, the circumstance, with himself, with getting injured and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he seems uh, 
seems like he's ready ready to uh to hit the ground running whenever he can get back so excited to see that but i mean it's just uh it's crazy when you see a position go from from what we think it is and what we've seen i mean let's be honest i mean journey kind of proved himself at the end of last year went out obviously on a, on a really high note in the cotton bowl noah kane uh you know the time that he was in this year certainly or last excuse me last year certainly proved uh that he can carry the rock and now all of a sudden we're talking about penn state has no running game and that's that's how quickly things can change just uh with the snap of a finger and of course, we were spoiled before that watching, uh, you know, Miles Sanders and, and of course, Saquon Barkley, the, the most electric player I've personally seen on a football field. And uh, that's a quite a lineage and Journey Brown uh, seemed ready to step up and maybe, you know, follow their footsteps and do big things in the league. Remember, Sanders and Barkley, the last two years led all NFL rookies in total yards. So it's such a good thing going at running back. Sanders has been hurt this year. Saquon Barkley's out for the season. Journey Brown's career is over. Noah Kane is hurt. It's like, what is going on? For these Penn State running backs, it's been really hard to see, and nothing has been worse to see, and nothing has been worse to learn than Journey Brown. Before we move on to the rest of that room and what it means going forward here in 2020 and beyond, Sean, can we just reflect on on how fortunate like it was that we got to go out of Dallas, all of us, me, you, Mark, all sitting side by side in that press box, and Journey Brown's run was coming right towards us at at and Stadium. And I know that he had a lot of good runs in that game. You don't rack up 200-plus rushing yards without having a few good, spectacular runs. The one where he went beast mode and showed the track kid label was, you know, take that, put it out back, and burn it because he was running over people. He was stiff-arming Memphis players to the ground, and he was coming right at us. And, and uh, knowing now that that's one of the last times – one of the last runs that he will make in his in his football career and the last game he will play in his football career. I'm just glad I got to, to be in the building and, and watch that firsthand. And it's something that I'll always remember uh, from just my days of covering football, wherever this day. Oh, absolutely. Me. I mean, you just look at, look back at his entire career and, you know, just kind of a throw in with that recruiting class. And then all of a sudden, you know, he was one of the stars last, uh, I believe it was last, I don't know what year it is, 2019 spring. And then all of a sudden gets suspended, doesn't, doesn't, uh, you know, isn't on campus all summer and then comes back and, you know, assumes the position by the end of the year. I mean, it's just pretty phenomenal in itself. And now, it's kind of just a footnote and it's really unfortunate that we did not get to see what I believe would be the best of, of Journey Brown. Yeah, just a remarkable five game sample size and and then gone. And it's just one of those athletic careers that you wonder what if and just the Cotton Bowl feels like a, a, a lifetime ago. We all the media stuff, all the media events where we were in close circles, standing around, you know, socializing, no masks, watching Micah Parsons dominate, watching Journey Brown dominate. Boom, here we are, November 2020, and it just feels like a, we're, we've crossed into a different threshold of reality, and uh, it's what we have to deal with, and it's what Jay Wan Sider has to deal with, and uh, he said about three times on our call on Thursday, Sean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, dot, dot, dot. And so that kind of tells you where, where he's at right now. He He feels very strongly that he had two long-term NFL kind of running backs in his room leading the way going into this year with Journey Brown, with Noah Kane. By the end of your first possession of the first game of the season, neither of those players are part of the plan. And um, he's, yeah, look, there's a lot of blue chip talent that Penn State has been able to to accrue in that room. Let's remember, Journey Brown was kind of the outlier as the three star guy. He was surrounded by five and four star players throughout his career in that running back room, and that remains the case. But he says, you know, Devin Ford 
he felt like the preparation was put in this offseason, but there's no way Devin Ford could have known that that he would be the guy in game one and, and have to carry that load the rest of the season. He said he felt good about how the freshmen approached their first few months on campus. Kevon Lee, Keziah Holmes, um, even though Keziah enrolled early and didn't get that spring ball, he still felt like they were coming along at, at a nice little pace. All of a sudden, it's not blowout city where you're getting in. It is game one, close game against Indiana, and you're getting involved and you're carrying the football. And he says that has just changed the the needed acceleration for learning and for executing. He says it's one thing to learn the playbook, and he feels like there's been a good grasp on that. He feels like the execution aspect and the ability to handle the physicality of Big Ten football, that's just a lot to ask in a short period of time, and he didn't think he'd have to ask that of this group so quickly. I, I agree with him. I mean, you shouldn't have had to ask uh, that group so quickly, but those are the circumstances that they're dealt and that, that they're big 10 scholarship running backs. I mean, Penn state has recruited running back, you know, as well as anybody in the country and it's time to get going. So I'm curious to see what that means for Kaziah Holmes and Kevon Lee. I thought, you know, Kevon Lee in week one, you, you leaned on him as a big inside runner. You're going to run a lot of that inside zone. So seems to be a, a, a good place to go. And and Kaziah Holmes, you're kind of asking to do the same thing. So I'm curious how that changes up as we go through the year. I mean, do they chip into Ford's carries? Ford hasn't been terrible, but he hasn't made people miss he hasn't been a guy that's you know can can take a few guys and carry them. He's still the lightest of the group, so I, I think that that's certainly something that needs to be um, addressed moving forward. Is how you use these guys and, and what situation you're putting these guys in to execute. And um, you know you put them beside Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford has more carries than anybody. Sean Clifford has more yards than anybody. Um, but I don't think that's you know when you're looking at what your optimal output is as a running game. That's that's not what anybody wants. That's not the desired recipe. That's not the recipe that that we kind of viewed, and we didn't see this being 0-3, and, and maybe that all goes together there. Um, you did mention this, Noah Kane. He's positive, says Jaywan Sider, but he's also pissed, says Jaywan Sider. And uh, Kane is a guy who's going to be in year three when he gets back on campus in 2021. He'll still carry that sophomore designation. That would have been the case even if he played every game this year, but um, Jaywan Sider kind of, you know, jokingly and, and kind of dark humor said, it told he told Noah, I'm never starting you again. The two times I start you, you get you get hurt with an ankle deal, uh, and, and then we got to shelve you. So maybe we'll see Noah Kane get the second carry when he gets back, but it, it's been just, it's been very tough to see because Noah Kane has, has shown up in big ways as a freshman. I mean, this kid, a professional approach, I've, I've talked about that going back to early in his career, and that has taken another step since he got to Penn State, and the expectations were, were so high that I was willing to say I thought he would go out and lead the Big Ten in rushing going into this season, um, and he's gone before it even gets going. Um, Jaywan Sider says, like Brown, Noah Kane is in the building every day. He is actively engaged. He is doing what he can to contribute to the room. Uh, but, but Sider says, uh, you know, right now that focus, you know, some days he wants to feel sorry for himself for not having those two players at the top of his depth chart, but that focus has to be on the freshman. It has to be on developing Devin Ford uh, to be in that mindset of being the guy in the room. But he did say something interesting that stood out to me and, and he kind of referenced high school coaching a bit here. And I think you can also note that Kevon Lee didn't play as a senior in high school. He said he's never had to go over the fundamentals of being a running back, the basic stuff, even taking a handoff 
as he has with this freshman group. And now he didn't really mean it as a slight because he actually said these guys are smart and they've absorbed the playbook and 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 he likes that. But it's like the little things, the terminology, things that he feels like often are kind of ingrained in a guy when he gets to campus. He says, if you get a guy from, from a program that really has its stuff together, you're going to get a, you know, a player who, who kind of, you can, you can get past that stuff easily and then you can move on to kind of, uh, the next phase of their development. There's been times where he's kind of been surprised at needing to go over terminology or going over some of the basics at the running back position. And without spring ball and without these guys probably getting a ton of reps, uh, or, or, you know, during the preseason plan when you still had Journey Brown involved and you had Noah Kane taking all those handoffs. This has been a, a challenge for him, and it probably explains why we haven't seen maybe as much of those guys as we thought we might. Um, you got to be able to trust a player to put the ball in his hands at this position. You can't afford turnovers. You can't afford blown assignments, blitz pickups, all that different stuff that factors in. And just seems like Jaywan Sider is trying to get those guys up to speed as quickly as yeah, he he's can. He's going to have to. I mean, nobody's really feeling bad for him, and and, and nobody should feel bad for him. This is the situation that you found yourself in as a, a major college running backs or major college football running backs coach. So, I mean, you've got to get those guys up to speed. Pass protection is big. I mean, we've seen instances in the first couple of weeks where those guys have maybe done okay picking up blitz, but it, it, it seems like there's not a ton of trust there once that, that guy gets through the line and, and, and runs headlong into Kaziah Holmes or something. We see Clifford start looking down and that's something that they got to be, you know, on the top of their game at. And that's, uh, that's a lot to ask of a couple of freshmen and a, and a true sophomore, but that's the the the, the circumstances that are dictating where we're at right now, and that's that's something you just got to deal with. He pointed to to that development of the fundamental basics, and then he pointed to you can't be tiptoeing, you can't be tiptoeing in blitz pickup, you can't be tiptoeing when you need to pick up two yards on a third down. Uh, he, full steam ahead, and he said those are the two things that really that needs to happen. That needs to be the next step in, in their development, and uh, we'll see what, what we see out of those freshmen against Nebraska. Uh, really, haven't seen any of these running backs have a chance to, to to develop any kind of consistency in getting the ball and getting in rhythm. Something I talked about last episode and kind of evaluating this run game, whether it's Devin Ford or the freshman, you'd like to see someone maybe string together a couple series get some touches accrued and see if they can find their way uh, and develop some footing. Haven't had a chance to do that. You faced early holes. The offensive line hasn't been excellent. So, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes with the running game. Um, in 2021, though, Sean, and this is something that Jaywan Sider also talked about, recruiting, running backs all of a sudden really popped up as as something that looks like they are all of a sudden maybe prioritizing a bit toward the stretch with the National Signing Day approaching the early signing period in December, the traditional one in February, of course. Um, but for a while, we wondered if they would go and take a running back. Uh, didn't expect Journey Brown to be part of the equation in 2021 regardless. Um, but it looks like they'd like to add to what they have in that room, potentially some names surfacing. I'm going to throw it to you in a second about that. But Jaywan Sider noted that, that it's been really tough having to recruit uh, virtually. Um, and, and by the way, that's going to be extended into next April, which means a full calendar year plus of no in-person recruiting. But he said with him, it's important to evaluate guys in person, see them on the practice field, see them in the game, um, and get a sense for how they're handling adversity. He said, you can watch all the highlights you want. They're highlights. They're, they're going to showcase all the best moments of the kid. He wants to see the worst moments and how they respond to them. It's also something that, that he talked about after he signed Kaziah Holmes, being able to go around the community, talk to the guidance counselor, talk to the science teacher, 
talk to you know the the, the principal about somebody kind of put together a per, uh, a profile of a kid's personality rather than just leaning on 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 their mom and dad or or those in their inner circle for that kind of stuff that is not as readily accessible right now because of the circumstances it's a challenge for Jay Sider. didn't want to make excuses but he says you know it, it's really sucks for him because he called himself you know, he's an in-person guy. He wants to see if you're going to back, uh, you take a back seat when you hit adversity because he said if that happens at the high school level, it sure is going to happen when you're playing in front of 107,000 people and you're matched up against an Ohio State or a Michigan. Well, even beyond that, it's probably affecting Sider more than anybody else on this staff because of his, you know, his, his label as the Florida guy. And, you know, that guy can walk into any high school in Florida and he's welcome with open arms. And, you know, you prospects are not going to see that. I mean, you you know about Jaywan Sider, you know about his you know story and you know all that kind of stuff, but you're not going to see him walk into your school. And I think that's going to have some sort of out of sight, out of mind uh, approach for Penn State. On top of that, I mean, you look at the guys that he's gotten to come up uh, just one visit. You know, basically uh, the, both those freshman running backs are there. John Dunmore before he you know transferred. Uh, the guys from Florida that have come up and. Um, you know, check Penn State out once or twice, and and that's that's it. And he's not going to get that opportunity for over a year. That's really going to see some diminishing returns in that Florida uh, on that Florida front. So that's going to be tough. I mean, obviously, you want to get these guys back on campus as soon as possible. Um, but really, you're you're just taking a whole chunk out of Florida or a year chunk out of Florida recruiting, and that's got to be tough for Cider on the recruiting or excuse me on the running back front. Of course, they were going after Donovan Edwards, uh, kind of focused in on him, and that's going to be a, a, a very tough pull with uh, Michigan, with Notre Dame, with those Midwest schools that he's actually been to being factors here. Um, so you move you move along. They offered Deshaun Morrell in Alabama this week, um, kind of a small school guy like a like a Journey Brown where he's putting up absolutely huge numbers. The competition is, is not fantastic, but you like what he brings to the table as an athlete, about 5'11", 190, and, you know, he's kind of fits fits that build for those guys that you've brought in in the past. And, you know, he's, he's certainly producing at the high school level. He's a UCLA commit. Great kid, by the way. I, I've talked to him. I've heard other people that have talked to him, and it's the first thing they turn to right away. It just kind of lights up um, the room when he walks in it type of kid. And I think this is a guy that Penn State, I feel that if they felt that there wasn't a great shot of flipping him, they wouldn't have offered him. So I think that the Penn State uh, is is going to be in a good position moving forward. He's never been to UCLA, committed to them in June, about a month after they offered. He's never been out there. He's never been to Penn State, but wants to get up and check things out. So from a running back perspective, I mean, that's probably your most logical Excuse me. That your most logical next step. Um, also showing some interest in Audric Esteem from uh, St. Joe's Montvale, M- Michigan State commitment. More of a bigger back, but he's been incredibly productive. I think he's got what thirteen, uh, one thousand three hundred forty-one rushing yards and nineteen touchdowns in six games. It's pretty productive at a, at a high level of school where they've gotten Smith Vilbert and uh, uh, you know they, they've gotten a couple of guys from that school. So it's been you know, sort of a turn on the dime type of situation because you didn't think you needed a running back. But even though the f- the future seems bright, this show, this year showed how thin it can get and how quickly it can get thin. Um, so I think that's going to find yourself back into a take one running back every year. Still think they take two in 2022. But I mean, you saw what happened this year. They can't afford to, to have that happen again. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. No visit to UCLA. I think you could probably have a good image of what Southern California looks like. It's a pretty nice picture. Um, but a kid from Alabama, that's a, that's a long trip to join a coach in Chip Kelly who is 7 and 18 in his career right now with the Bruins. That's certainly seems like a, a vulnerable state for that commitment. Uh, we're going to get into more recruiting later. There are some other new offers going out here in the 2021 cycle. Again, Penn State exploring some new options. It's time to be proactive if you want to fill these spots. There's not much time to hesitate and wait around. Um, so we'll talk about that. We're going to get into our game predictions, some keys for Penn State. But first, coming up next, it's Brian Christofferson, Nebraska beat reporter for 24-7 Sports. He's been covering that team for more than a decade. A lot to look at with them, the positives, the negatives, the X-Factor players, the quarterback competition going on in Lincoln. Stay with us for that conversation right around the corner. Place the spotlight squarely on Penn State's fourth opponent of the 2020 season, the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Penn State traveling to Lincoln. It's an 11 a.m. kickoff their local time, noon here. Brian Christofferson from the 24-7 Sports Nebraska site is joining us right now. And, and this is a guy who has covered Nebraska football going back to 2007. So from Big 12 to Big 10 and here in 2020, Brian, we appreciate all the perspective you'll be able to lend on this matchup from your standpoint. I will uh, try my best, and I'll look forward to learning some stuff uh, from your end, too. Well, something that I was just handling right before we were able to record was a story on Sean Clifford, Will Levis, etc., the Penn State quarterback situation. Now, James Franklin has been very cautious to cast any kind of public doubt on who his starting quarterback is. Very loyal to Sean Franklin to this point, but we do expect to see two quarterbacks in the mix in some capacity in Lincoln on this side of things certainly sounds like from your side, that is definitely going to be the case. And, and Scott Frost did not tiptoe around this. It sounds like they're going full evaluation mode over the course of this practice week. Yeah. To give some perspective here, um, Adrian Martinez came into the season as, as the starter, uh, but he had to really fight like heck for the job. It was said to be pretty even um, near the end of fall camp. And Martinez was named the starter sort of just the week before the opener. But this is a guy who's been Nebraska's main man at the position since 2018 when he had really a stellar freshman season. I mean, he was on Heisman uh, lists that preseason of 2019. Like this, this is the next big thing. And then he slumped last year. And uh, so there was sort of an open mind, like, how's he going to bounce back here in 2020? And he just had sort of a rough day Saturday, throwing the football against Northwestern. He was 12 of 27, seemed to be making some late decisions. And Nebraska replaced him in the final quarter with Luke McCaffrey, who is the brother of Christian, son of Ed, uh, of that McCaffrey fame. And he's a he's a speedster, and uh, he does seem to bring a spark to the offense. They didn't score any points with him. They drove the football, but they still made errors and didn't score but there's sort of a feeling around here in Lincoln, you know, because McCaffrey finished off the game and they counted on him to try to win it there at the very end, that he might be the guy going forward to make his first career start Saturday against Penn State. You mentioned Mar Martinez really, you know, hit the ground running with the Cornhuskers. It seemed like, you know, Scott Frost shows up to campus all of a sudden, year one, he's got this young quarterback to build with. Um, you know, he's up there in terms of, of rankings all time in Nebraska football, which is a, a proud tradition there, uh, total yards, and, and he's a two-time team captain. 
what has gone awry? Because it just felt like that was almost a perfect marriage for Nebraska. They were going to have to take some lumps. It wasn't going to be a nine or 10 win camp uh, team right away, but to have that quarterback and uh, in coaching development in place, I remember talking to Martinez actually down at the Under Armour All-American game in Orlando. We were there to cover a few Penn State players and he had just made that flip from Cal, I believe it was, to, to Nebraska following Frost to campus. And he said, I'm going to go try to start as, as a year one guy. Here he is year three, and all of a sudden there's all this this speculation swirling about if he's the right man for the job. Where does that kind of stem from, in your opinion? It's a strange thing because his freshman year, he was sort of fearless. I mean, he he would improvise out there and he would make plays out of nothing. And his opening game, I can remember the first game he ever played against Colorado, he made some throws where you're like, oh, man, this is going to be fun. I mean, this is going to be a fun ride. And he had like four or five games where he had more than 400 yards of offense his freshman year. So there was sort of the assumption quarterback is handled at Nebraska for basically the next three to four years. It's Adrian Martinez, and we'll see what happens after that. And so last year confused the heck out of everybody. Now, he was injured for some of it. Um, There was an injury that kind of derailed some of that. Uh, He missed some games. And uh, I will say to his his credit, um, he's he's still been a good runner. Like he's a, he's a guy who can still beat you with his feet. I mean, he had like a hundred rushing yards against Northwestern on Saturday and made a couple really nice plays scrambling and kind of making something out of nothing. It's in the passing game though, where uh, it just looks a little off and it's hard. It's like, there's not quite as much zing on his passes. Uh, He had a possible touchdown on Saturday where he was just way late on the throw and it got picked off in the end zone. And sort of derailed Nebraska in that possession and maybe for the game. Um, and so there's just been a few too many mistakes and he's kind of missing on some simple passes too, like, you know, basic swing passes and stuff out in the flat to get the ball to playmakers. He's, he's missing on some of his layup throws, you know? So uh, that's where McCaffrey, who's, I don't think McCaffrey's a polished passer yet either, but Luke has a little bit of, I'm not saying he's his brother Christian by any means, but he's got a little bit of that, man, there's, you just want to watch him with the football in his hands. And so the fan base is kind of clamoring for him, but you know how that goes. What else is new? The backup is always popular till he's a starter. And Luke's older brother, Dylan, of course, a lot of high expectations in place for him when he got to Michigan. That didn't materialize. He'll finish his college career elsewhere. When it comes to Luke, you know, he's played wide receiver there in Lincoln. Um, Just speaking with Penn State defensive players over the course of this game week, they seem to indicate the anticipation is he's a, he's a pretty dangerous runner. And they, uh, I was actually, I believe Jason Oway, a defensive end here, referred to him as kind of a wildcat quarterback of sorts. I mean, are we talking about uh, if Luke McCaffrey's in the game over Martinez, despite Martinez's struggles, does this become more of a one-dimensional Nebraska offense on the ground? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think they're going to want him to make some throws, and he feels like he's come a long way in that that part of the game. And now it's sort of prove it. You know, let's see, let's see where he's at. Let's see how much he's developed. Um, I know he had to make big strides in the passing game to sort of even the playing field with Martinez, even though Adrian had his struggles. And I think he is he's done that. So. I don't know that the the coaches are going to limit him and what he can do where Nebraska might be limited on offense is there's a combination of things at play here. It's not just possibly Luke starting. They're trying to figure out their wide receiver situation. They, they've basically got Wandale Robinson, who's a guy who's pretty electric in space, but they haven't been able to get the ball. And then they don't know 
who you don't know who can step up and be like a home run hitter for them, but they've got four newcomers that are new to the program this year that they are trying to get involved at wide receiver, but because they're just getting going, they have to limit some of what they can do there. So that it all kind of works together where Nebraska, I don't know, they might have to take a few pages off the menu, not just because of McCaffrey necessarily, but because if they're involving some of these young wide receivers too. So They've got a lot of youth at skilled positions. They've got a very experienced offensive line, and they might try to just rely on those guys up front. But at the skilled spots, it's it's a work in progress, and it was known that going in. Last time I saw this Nebraska team in person and was the last time they played Penn State, uh, November 2017. I don't know if you were in the press box or not for that game. I unfortunately had to go to that game. Oh, it was a wretched game, uh, particularly if you were covering it from a Cornhuskers perspective. 56 to 24, Penn State was leading with about 10 minutes to go. A kind of a late flurry of points made it look closer, 56 to 44, but it was a downpour kind of day, wintry weather, and it was, you know, basically ushering uh, the end of the Mike Riley uh, era. And, and there was already all this stuff swirling around Scott Frost, who at that point was completing an unbeaten season at Central Florida, which only a couple of years earlier before his arrival went winless. So that while there was a lot of concern and a lot of like angst among Nebraska fans at that time, right? I recall correctly, there was also this kind of jubilant excitement that was brewing because they felt like Scott Frost was going to come to town and it was going to be the start of a new era. Here we are in year number three of Frost's tenure at Nebraska. Now, I know the fan expectations versus maybe what you as a professional reporter expectations are going to be different, but how far has he fallen maybe short of yours? And tell us how the fans have, have kind of reacted to what they have seen thus far um, over the course of these two plus seasons. Yeah. First off one flashback to that 2017 game. I remember Saquon Barkley took the, one of the, maybe the first play it was the first or second play. And he went about 65 yards and it was the least surprising 65 yard run. <laughs> like, yeah, that was, that was going to, we miss, we miss watching him. We miss watching him here for sure. Yeah. Um, so there was that, uh, but you're right back then there was sort of this, you know, Scott's out there. Scott's coming back to save save the day. And I'm not saying that's all lost. I, I think there's there's been a reality check, you know, in the last year or so that this is a this is really gonna take some time and some elbow grease. Um he's nine and seventeen right now. I mean, that's what his record is as Nebraska's head coach. They won four games the first year. And everybody was kind of enthused by the end of it because they started 0-6, but they had these sort of weird games where they would find strange ways to lose, but you felt like they were close. And then they won four of their final six that year, and they almost beat Ohio State in the horseshoe. They took them down to the last minute. And so going into last year, there was this thought, like, even though it was 4-8 and eight that first year, it was like, okay, they're going to double the win total, and this thing is off and rolling. And then last year, there was sort of like they just hit a wall on offense with Martinez and all the stuff you thought was going to take off and fly. It didn't happen, and they won five games. Um, this year, I think they're playing better football, actually. I, I know, And I know people are discouraged, and I get it because they're seeing some of the same themes they've seen from Nebraska where they kind of shoot their own toes off and they have silly penalties and can't finish in the red zone. But bizarrely, I thought – even though they lost 52 to 17 to Ohio state, and maybe this is the state of the program and you're looking at a 35 point loss and saying, Oh, it wasn't that bad. I actually thought up front in the trenches, I was like, okay, they're, they're actually competing with Ohio state more than they had been. 
And, uh, and then last week, um, that was honestly a game I thought they should have won. They were in Northwestern's inside their 30 yard line eight times and only scored 13 points. That's hard to do. Yeah. So they're moving the ball and they're playing pretty good run defense so far. And so they've got a formula where you think, you know, they should be winning games, but where people are discouraged and rightfully so is they're three and 10 in one score games um, in the frost era. So they've, I mean, think about his nine and 17 record. If you switch like four or five of those close games, you know, we're not looking at it quite as, as downward as we are right now. Um, so that's the problem though, is that they sort of have not figured out uh, how to win or make those extra plays or, or get out of their own way when they're on the other team's 25 yard line. And uh, they also have not found the home run hitters in this offense that we thought would be here in year three. I, you know, when you think of Frost at Central Florida and when he was part of the operation at Oregon, you think of these fast skill guys who would get loose and, you know, beat you. they'd have four or five guys that could get 55 yard plays on you at any given moment. Um, that just isn't here right now. They're, they're lacking explosive plays. And because of that, they're having to grind out these 13 play drives. And it's not really, I think, what they're built for, to be honest. Um, So that's going to be a big part of this game Saturday. I mean, if Penn State makes Nebraska have to earn it and, you know, even if Nebraska is moving the ball, the big question around here will be on that ninth or 10th play of the drive, will Nebraska not have a false start penalty? Will they not have the holding call or whatever that's always gets in the way? Because that's what's kind of been the problem. Sample size beginning to grow for Scott Frost. Very clearly, initially, not all his guys on this roster. He's had a few recruiting classes now. Uh, but 20 Big Ten contests in, six wins over those 20 games. Uh, Penn State will be opponent number 21 in his conference experience at the Big Ten level. When you examine Scott Frost to this point, um, what are you mentioned some of these late game miscues, not doing things well at late in the game when it matters most, but are there other consistent themes that have surfaced here in 2020, although you think this is an improved team, that you kind of anticipate to be prolonged problems for Nebraska, including this Saturday? Yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to uh, take the beginning of the Northwestern game. Uh, on Nebraska's first three possessions Saturday, uh, there was a penalty on offense on every one of them. Uh, there was in the, they totaled up two holding penalties, two false starts. Nebraska starts the game with like four or five plays where they get like 50 yards and they're playing with rhythm and it's looking good. And this is sort of a, a microcosm of what what's been going on. They get it down to the 25 yard line and then false start on a second and three. So then it's second and eight. Then there's a holding and suddenly they're back at the 45 yard line. They end up not even getting a field goal. They have to punt. And if I were to just take a snapshot and say, this is it. I mean, that's been sort of Husker football the last year or so where they, you know, they'll show promise here and there. And if you actually took out a piece of paper and you wrote down a plus or minus next to every play, was that a good play or bad play for Nebraska? They've actually would stack up quite a few pluses the last week, especially they would have had more than Northwestern, but they're still making those negatives are you can just circle them because they're like so significant. Um, they they're they're like double in worth to all the pluses. And so turnovers have been a problem. They have not last year. I think they broke even in turnovers when it was all said and done. But in Big Ten play, they they 
they gave it away way too much and they fumbled the ball. And, um, you know, even against Ohio state in week one, uh, they were playing okay. And, uh, they have a promising drive and then Martinez fumbles and a Buckeye runs it back 55 yards for a touchdown, you know, and that, and everybody around Nebraska is sort of like, yep, that figures. I mean, that's sort of where they're at. So, um, that's the biggest thing it keeps coming back to. You see signs of things, but you keep saying they can they get out of their own way and you just don't know. Turnovers, penalties, um, you know, and some dumb penalties. You know, they've had some where they've got like a – they had to delay a game against Ohio State coming out of a timeout, you know, and it was it's stuff like that that they just got to clean up. It sounds like a little bit of defeatism from the fan base kind of anticipating the next shoe to drop when things are going well right now. And I, Penn State fans starting to venture that way a little bit after the first three games. Defensively, there's been a lot of issues. We'll see how Penn State matches up. But offensively, that's been the focal point here for the Nittany Lions, their quarterback play, their inability to establish a ground game. I'm curious what the Nebraska defense is going to present to them on, on the other side of the field on Saturday. What are the highs, lows, X-factor kind of players in that Cornhuskers defensive group? They've been better on defense. They played well enough to win against Northwestern. And I know Northwestern's not an explosive offense by any means. But, uh, you know, Nebraska gave up 21 points. And they actually scored basically seven because they had an interception. They ran back to the three-yard line. So, I mean, what more can you ask? Basically, they were only minus 14 for the day in points given. Um, and so you'd expect to win the game. The biggest improvement so far has been the run defense. They're playing better on the second level than they have in the past. Uh, up front, they actually have guys who look like they're Big Ten ready. I think this adjustment to this league has been really hard on Nebraska. Like, I, I think, you know, you guys watch these Big 12 scores and um, it's all spread out. And, you know, some of these games are like 55 to 48 and stuff like that. And I think Nebraska's really had to work hard to build up their personnel in the trenches. And, um, you know, I I don't think you want to point all the finger back at Mike Riley and his staff at this point. But by the time they left, I just felt like Nebraska just couldn't stack up up front against people in this league. And so to the defense of Frost and his staff, they've had to spend a couple years really getting size and guys who can match up against Penn States and Wisconsin's and Iowa types. And they're, they look like they can do that now. So that part is good. Um, the secondary is experienced and should hold up well, but I'm interested how they cover Penn State on, on Saturday because they gave up a lot of room to Ohio State's dangerous receivers. They were backed off like 10 to 12 yards off them and made it pretty easy pitch and catch for them. So um, Nebraska's secondary is going to have to prove something in this game, even though they do have some veteran players. You mentioned Nebraska's progress in the Big Ten. Their relationship with the Big Ten has been uh, tricky to say the least here in 2020. If there was one uh, consistent dissident over the course of the Big Ten going back and forth on how to approach this fall schedule, it was Nebraska. There's no doubt about it. And even since the season started, the Wisconsin game was canceled in, in game two. A lot of frustration, I'd imagine, in Lincoln. Can you take us kind of on on home turf there? And what are the vibes around the Nebraska football program? What are the vibes around how this Big Ten experience has gone in 2020? Yeah, um, I'll defend Nebraska a little bit on this part. I think some of it's been a little unfair nationally. Um 
Nebraska really, when it was all said and done, just they wanted to play this season. I mean, it, it, it's such a bit you get. I mean, you know how it is in that part of the world, too. Like college football is like such a it's a fabric of the area. You know, I mean, it, it's it's everything to people. And even when Nebraska is not great, um, people still get fired up about that first game and stuff. And so I just think, you know, this this coaching staff, this athletic department, uh, they felt like in the summer they put together a good plan and were out in front. And they really did when I went when you went through some of the, the testing they had set up even back in early June. They felt like they're in good position to try to make a go of it amid this COVID-19 struggle. And um, so it was really disappointing when then the Big Ten said, oh, we're not going to play. Now, I do think Scott Frost had did have a kind of passionate speech and a, it kind of went national. It's important to point out, and this is where it gets misreported sometimes. He said that a day before the Big Ten actually canceled the first time. It wasn't like a reaction to the cancellation. It was sort of a last stand of, man, we really want to play. And if possible, we'd like to play football against anybody we can. And some, you know, Nebraska, I would say, does have sort of an independent spirit around here. And some people didn't take kindly to it because it's sort of a, you know, the Big Ten, you're going to do what the Big Ten wants to do here. And the Big Ten obviously wanted either everybody's playing or nobody's playing. And so Nebraska did try to get a game then with the, Tennessee Chattanooga when the Wisconsin couldn't play and um, you hear different things on that, but the, at the end of the day, you know, that it, it just wasn't going to happen. So they've tried and tried, but they know that the big 10 is their future, I think. And um, the, it'll be interesting to watch how it goes going forward though. There is some nostalgia amongst the fans for the old big eight, like before the big 12, but I, I keep telling people, uh, I, I don't think you want to go back to the Big 12. Nebraska didn't wasn't like real friendly with the Big 12 back at, by the end of it either. It's people sometimes forget how messy that marriage was at the end. I've certainly seen that nostalgia plays a very substantial role in college uh, athletic uh, fandom on a lot of campuses, so I'm not surprised to hear that. Um, I want to leave you with this one. When we looked at this game and when that schedule was reset and we got into this thing in September and in October – you know, you, you probably anticipated at least here that Penn State was going to be a significant favorite, probably be two and one, uh, maybe be three and oh, if they had shocked Ohio State in that game, it was going to be a dogfight there. Instead, we've got no one three team coming to town that that really struggled against Maryland. We've got a team that's Owen two in Nebraska because of the circumstances with Wisconsin. This is now their home opener and all the way in week four. Just seems like two teams that could really use something to go right. It looks like the line's hovering around a field goal in favor of Penn State at this point. Are you ready to serve up a prediction and explain why you're thinking that way? Yeah, I suppose I can venture into that, although it's dangerous territory with either of these teams, it feels like. It really is. <laughs> uh, my, I'm at the place with Nebraska right now where I, I think they're actually making progress, but they until they in a game can make that play or two where they turn it in their favor and they show, you know, we, we can do this. We could, you know, Nebraska believes in itself that they can actually finish the deal. I think that's a big part is, you know, losing becomes sort of a habit and it, um, 
it's kind of become a habit around here where you sort of like you were saying earlier after you listen to my rant, like it's like people are expecting to shoot it, the other shoot a drop. And that's sort of how it is. And you wonder how much that's like within the players too, at this point. And so that's where I I'll pick Penn state. I think it's going to be a close game. I would say something like 30 to 24. Um, the quarterback discussion is interesting. Like if McCaffrey comes out and he is suddenly the jolt that this offense needs, um, who knows? I mean, that could be an, it could be an exciting day for Nebraska and it could be that turning point they're looking for. And I know Penn state's kind of searching a little bit or discussing what to do at QB as well. So it's a game with interesting sidebars. Um, but you're, you're, I mean, the framing of it is both teams desperately need to a win. And I sort of suspect Penn state is going to come here and play good football. I don't know what you think from your end, but I, I, I sort of, I sort of, I know that's what Nebraska coaches are expecting. They don't think that's an Owen three team they're playing or they don't view them that way. Um, Cause they know all the talent and the recruits have been stacked up there. So um, I'll give a slight edge off of Penn State's talent, um, and obviously there's no home field advantage here to, to the Nittany Lions. Well, Brian, uh, it only took until mid-November, but one of us will be writing a winning game story for yeah. the first time in 2020. So we'll see how everything uh, falls in Lincoln on Saturday. Uh, really appreciate your insight here. Great stuff. We look forward to your coverage and, and kind of being some eyes for us uh, out there in Lincoln come game day Memorial Stadium. Thanks again. Yeah, whoever's, whichever team wins, that writer should have to go to the other message board and console and then talk to those people. How about that? No? Oh, well, we'll talk all fair about that. We'll we'll see. (laughs) Thanks again, Brian. Really appreciate it, man. No problem. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Big thanks to Brian. We're going to give you our thoughts on this matchup now. And, and let's start here. There's, it, you know, the talk of the town right now is Sean Clifford, quarterback. What's going on? There probably needs to be more emphasis on the defense because Penn State, Sean, they got to stop somebody. I know they're going to face two quarterbacks here. And kind of the running joke on the message board this week was like, well, whoever gets the nod from Nebraska is going to have a field day. Part of that is just uh, pessimism, but part of that is certainly what we've seen from Penn State's defense over the course of these recent weeks. They have had a lot of issues stopping anybody. I mean, that's, uh, again, it's tough to pinpoint what's going wrong when everything's going wrong. So, yeah, I think, I mean, this is obviously uh, the least effective passing game we expect coming into this week, knock on wood here. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's uh, Nebraska has struggled offensively. I mean, you know, maybe – that's a formula for success for Penn State. You get, it's going to start with stopping the run. I mean, Nebraska actually had some luck uh, running the football against uh, Ohio State early in the opener and, uh, you know, eventually kind of slowed down. But, I mean, that's got to be where it starts for me. I mean, the secondary, you know, you've got the opportunity to have a better game. And until we see it, it's really tough to take that for its worth, for what it's worth. So, um, yeah, I think you, you definitely have that uh, – that approach, you got somebody. You got to stop somebody sometime, right? I, I I hope. I mean, that's kind of where we're at right now. Nebraska with their quarterback issue, it's going to be about who shows up, and and, and yeah, they have 
sort of a, a tendency to turn the ball over at times. And I know Maryland had the same thing. So Penn State's just got to be better uh, getting their hands on the football, getting into some passing lanes and just you, you can't let them chip, chip, chip away. I mean, that's the, the way that Indiana really, uh, you know, made them vulnerable. Um, you know, they haven't, I don't think, played a good quarter of football since since that Indiana game. So, I mean, a lot of pressure on this defense and, and you wonder – I guess if they're kind of running back there on on eggshells, what's going to happen? And that's going to be uh, it's going to be very much up in the air come Saturday afternoon. We talked about this with Brian, just the fact that the Scott Frost era, you know, he had work to do there, but it has not come along with six wins and twenty conference games to this point, and uh, seven of the last eight dropping those. Uh, there's a lot of concern right there. Uh, it's been a it's been a year where a lot of frustration among Nebraska football fans off the field, on the field, and and they didn't get a home game until this week. Not that there'll be fans piling into Memorial Stadium, but this you'd think would be a Nebraska team like a Penn State team that is either going to blow off some steam and come out and battle, or is going to kind of feel sorry for itself, or just be emotionally checked out a bit and come out and and maybe get throttled. And and I don't know where these teams are going to meet in the middle. We'll, we'll talk about our predictions in a second. But I do know that at quarterback, the there that approach has been really interesting because Adrian Martinez was the guy who came to, to campus pretty much essentially with Scott Frost. He flipped from a Pac-12 program to Nebraska upon Scott Frost's arrival, showed up, was this, you know, kind of a uh, rising star uh, across the country as a freshman um, in the Big Ten. Looked like he was maybe the next big star quarterback in the Big Ten. Uh, the, kind of unraveled last year. Injuries played a role, and here we are, game three of their season, and Frost can't even commit to him as a starting quarterback. And and that says a lot. And I do wonder, I, I would imagine we'll see Martinez out with the first team, but very clearly they're willing to put Luke McCaffrey on the field. It's not something that we've seen Penn State do with multiple quarterbacks to this stage, but McCaffrey got some run. He had a really costly interception at the goal line last week, but he was kind of a spark for them. Speaking with Penn State defenders this week, they felt like Luke McCaffrey is a pretty dynamic runner. He's played a little receiver for them. A lot of questions about him as a passer right now. But Sean, I, I, to Franklin's point earlier in the week and, and not wanting your quarterback to be looking over his shoulder from the first snap about getting the hook. I wonder if that plays in here. I mean, are you going to see uh, are you going to see Adrian uh, Martinez play loose and free? And 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 Brian said that's when he's at his best. Or are you going to see this kid tightening up and just trying to avoid the mistake that's going to land him on the sideline? Yeah, to me that this game, when you're talking about two teams playing as poorly as Penn State and Nebraska, it's going to come down to those mistakes and when you make them, you know whether or not they get Martinez the hook. And I think McCaffrey can put some pressure on that second level of Penn State's defense as a runner. And to me, if I'm coaching against that. That, uh, you know, if I'm coaching Nebraska's offense, that's the that's the way I would turn. So I'm curious to see, you know, how quickly if Martinez does get the start, how quickly that's going to, you know, I guess whether or not he would get the hook after a couple of bad throws. Um, but you know, at the same time, they've they've got an opportunity to be dynamic just based on what we've seen Penn State give up this year, and that's that kind of hurts to say. And it's it sounds like with your conversation with Brian that uh, both sides very pessimistic about their approach this weekend both sides very pessimistic about the way that they've played so far this season um so it's going to be really interesting to see who screws up less if i'm saying that correctly does that make sense I mean, that's when, when we were asked for our predictions mark put the puts those together that's how i wrote it up i said i felt like this game is more about who can avoid piling up the costly mistakes more than who can go out and produce the the most splashy plays i i feel like this is definitely about getting the job done, maybe simplifying the process, 
Um, I, I don't, I, I just see some, uh, some mistakes being the difference here, uh, whether it's Nebraska making them and that's kind of been their MO late in these close contests. They've had a really hard time, uh, catching up late or, or putting games away late. And Penn State has had a tough time of late just being competitive, uh, in, in these matchups and they've been buried early. And, um, I think you'll be able to tell pretty early on where, where the mentality is for both of these teams, uh, are, are you know, based on just body language, based on how they're reacting to early set backs and um, you know, if someone can get off to a hot start, it may be very difficult for that other team uh, to, to, to rebound because they may be of the mindset that this is kind of our, our existence in 2020 and, and you start to get down and then you snowball a little bit. And we didn't see this coming into the season as, as, as you know, Nebraska being Penn State's search for win number one on the year, and much less a game that is very much hanging in the balance and our predictions project that. Um, but that's exactly where we are right now. Um, and I think, again, going back to the quarterback spot, how early do we see another quarterback check in? I'm not talking about get Sean Clifford being yanked. I'm just saying, is there a plan on Kirk Shiraka's part, on James Franklin's part, maybe in the first quarter, maybe on the third series? Um, I guess if, if Sean, uh, Sean Clifford goes and orchestrates two touchdown tribes to start this game out, you maybe don't want to go with that plan and say, well, we had Will getting in the third series, but... Do we see the designed implementation of Will Levis for a possession here or for a few sequential plays here early in the game where it's part of your plan going into the game? Um, because it, it seems like that's going to be their approach more than more than us just kind of keeping an eye on Levis on the sideline with every single incomplete pass that Sean Clifford throws. I think that makes sense. And I, I mean, at some point you need some sort of spark and, you know, you can't wait until the second half to pile up all your yards. And I know that that's sort of been what Penn State's doing. I mean, Clifford, what, two of nine against uh, Ohio State in the first half and six of 20 or something like that in the first half against Maryland. You, you simply cannot have that. That's that's not acceptable on any level, and that's uh, really going to be tough to deal with. And I think you do may- maybe see Levis in that situation. Uh, I don't know if it's a series. I don't know if it's bringing him in as a running threat, but also you know potentially throwing the ball because you have that uh, you know that opportunity to do so. I, I don't know what that's going to look like, and that's uh, you know scary on one end, but also when you- when you're searching for a spark, I mean sometimes it's just you, you got to throw it to the wind, and we'll see we'll see what happens on that uh, uh, from that matter. By the way, neither of us going to be in Nebraska this weekend, travel circumstances being what they are. Uh, Mark's not even going to be there. So it's going to be a, you know, sort of an all remote type thing. So it's going to be interesting to see who's tweeting about Will Levis warming up. And and if anybody has followed Mark's coverage over the years or or has dealt with Mark, you know how painful oh, it is for him not him. to Absolutely be at a game. Killing. And it, it just, that is very reflective of 2020, the COVID issues we're dealing with and, and just trying to travel as employees and also just trying to to travel as, as, as citizens of America right now. It's very difficult. We wish we could be there. Um, I, I'm not sure how much we'll miss out on, obviously, the pregame stuff, but uh, we, we do plan to be in the box, in the uh, press box uh, for that Michigan matchup, though, uh, have representation there. And, and the slow starts have been so devastating for Sean Clifford. It, it's, which is just interesting that they started the season with that long touchdown drive and the touchdown pass to Pat Fryermuth, but uh, it has been really, really bad. Two completions in the first half against Ohio State. Six of 20 passing before halftime against Maryland. Uh, he ended up fumbling on the opening drive of that third quarter. Um, and then at Indiana, two interceptions that lead to, to 10 points for the Hoosiers. And I believe that was the first half deficit that Penn State faced going into halftime. So look, Sean Clifford, last week we talked about the issues. He was 22 of 52, 
passing before that garbage time touchdown drive in the last few minutes where people were wondering why he was even on the field with with such a, a deficit and maybe getting a look at Will Levis. Let's move on from that. It, it, it's Sean Clifford has has a chance to take a step forward here, but uh, you know you look at the 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 sample size that is growing uh, with him and Kirk Shiraka together here, and the regression is is there. The completion percentage is down from fifty nine to fifty six. The average yards per pass attempt down from eight eight and a half to seven, and he's got five interceptions through three games. He had seven total in twelve contests last year, so. The numbers aren't adding up. The scoreboard is reflecting that. Uh, they've been buried before halftime the last couple of weeks. And, and, uh, you know, if we see that kind of thing happen against Nebraska, um, I, I think there's a very strong chance that maybe Will Levis emerges from the locker room, uh, at quarterback for Penn State. But I also believe that we'll see Will Levis, even if this Penn State team is having some success early up by a score or two in the first or second quarter. I think we'll see Will Levis in the first half, and James Franklin seemed to indicate that that's going to be something they consistently want to do on a weekly basis. Now, if we don't, then uh, just another perplexing you know, step with this quarterback room that we have had trouble wrapping our heads around. And by the way, invested about 1,800 words on a story about that quarterback room and what the plan is for Penn State moving forward up on lines 24-7 midweek. Saying many words about uh, something that uh... – Seems so simple is not. So, yeah, I I do recommend you check that one out. Um, You need some sort of run game this week. You need turnovers. You need something. I think it's going to be a sloppy game, 11 o'clock start local time. Um, It's going to be interesting to see if they can get up and go for that. I mean, you need some sort of juice with it this week, and it's just uh, it hasn't happened to this this point in the season. I, I, I surely hope it happens on Saturday afternoon. And I hope for the sake of both fan bases that they see their teams come out and fight with some pride. And and 11 a.m. start time. I'm sorry, you're both winless. We are in, we are closing in on Thanksgiving 2020. Neither of these teams has has won in almost a calendar year. I I don't want to hear the 11 a.m. excuse from anybody. I know it's a factor. I know it's human nature. I'm not interested in it this week for 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 either team, particularly for Penn State. And I do wonder, Sean. Uh, going into this week, I was I was really close, and, I, and I'll just give my prediction now because this leads into the conversation. If you're ready to get into predictions here, um, I'm at 24 to 20 Penn State, and coming into the week, I was leaning toward Nebraska. Then Tuesday, <laughs> James Franklin, you know, pours out his soul a little bit. We talked about that um, on the on the earlier podcast this week, and then Wednesday. Something that we learn, and I'm sure the Penn State players and coaches have seen the writing on the wall with Journey Brown for a while because this was a matter of getting second opinions and reevaluations. So I, I'm sure that this has been hanging over their heads, the possibility that Journey Brown's career was over. Now that's final. Now they can process it. And now you can let the emotions out. We saw kind of a rally around Journey Brown just on social media. So you can imagine what that was like within team facilities. If there was ever the week to buy into that galvanizing nature, uh, and and they've changed things up. They had a full team meeting. That has not happened all of this year. Uh, they did that by spreading out in Haluba Hall. James Franklin has essentially said he has kind of changed his approach on how this team is, is going to interact because it hasn't been working and they need to be in each other's faces more and they need to uh, get that you know, the family vibes going. They need to feel as one. And this kind of all reflects on what we heard from John Dotson and other players after the game where it's just segmented, it's not working. And J1 Sider said this was something else that stood out from his conversation. He feels like they forgot to how to have fun during during this whole process with, with the COVID protocols, uh, with, with the struggles earlier this season. And he said on Tuesday, it felt like all of a sudden the training wheels were off and he was able to coach his guys and push his guys and, and the team meeting was a breakthrough. And 
all this stuff sounds good. And if they lose Saturday and they come out flat, it's going to sound really dumb and it's going to sound really hollow. But right now, I'm buying in on the emotions of this team, being able to carry them into this game to begin, which will be a, a nice start compared to how they started the last couple weeks. Now, can they sustain that for 60 minutes? Can they come up with a defensive stand in a close game late? Those are concerns for me. But this is the week where, where because of how things developed, I ended up kind of shifting from a three or four point Nebraska win to a three or four point Penn State win. Yeah, I went back and forth as well, all the way up to through when I got my prediction in. Uh, I think it's more about pick, almost picking the loser more so than the winner, just based on how bad both of these teams have been. So uh, it's going to be interesting to me. I mean, obviously, like you said, you got to run the football. You got to find a way to run the football. I don't know. I, I don't know if you in, implement a short passing game that can make up for some of that, but you got to be able to do something on the ground. Um, especially in a, in a matchup like this, going to need some sort of turnover, uh, margin. You know, this is, you're going on the road, obviously in the big 10. Um, and even though they haven't played well, if you, if you don't take the ball from them, you know, this is a game where you're going to find yourself on the short end of it. So I had Nebraska winning. I switched it at the last minute. I had Penn state winning 27, 24. Uh, I think they get a, you know, a big turnover late in the game or a big swing on special teams or something like that. I think special teams, can be you know vital for this weekend when you've got two teams that aren't clicking on offense and defense getting something going uh you know they've been hit and miss Jake Pinnegar's not been very good this year um but maybe they get something going in the return game punt return something like that um and I also think that you know Penn State Nebraska screams tight end matchup and I know last time they were out there Matt Lehman uh had a had his infamous time as a Penn State tight end and Pat Fryermuth has a, a a big game this week and I, I believe a couple of matchups ago, um, in 2013, one of Bill O'Brien's last home game, actually, I think the Penn State touchdowns all went to tight ends. So uh, it, interesting that you would say that. It's, it's only uh, right. It's Penn State and Nebraska. <laughs> if we're going to play an 80s game, then we're going to go to the tight end and, you know, maybe a fullback scores for Nebraska or something like that. Um, and one thing else for me, and by the way, we talk about Levis and is he is he going to breathe down Le- Clifford's neck? Is there something like that? Pinnaker, I mean, is he one miss away? I mean, is he one miss away from losing that job outright and seeing Stout carry things uh, forward from inside the 50? I don't know. I mean, um, he's one of four on the season. He missed one kick all of last year. This is a team that has very little margin for error in, in any game, uh, clearly at this stage. So uh, Jake Pinnaker's performance is one to watch closely. And I agree with you. If you can find a spark on special teams, what a difference that might make. I do wonder if Nebraska can find a spark on offense because outside of that quarterback position and some of the things they can self-manufacture because of their rushing abilities, Wondell Robinson's really the only guy that maybe concerns you. I feel like Maryland... Ohio State, certainly, and Indiana before that, you were more concerned about the weapons, and we saw that come to, to light over the course of those games in the passing game. Just don't know that Nebraska has that, you know, that guy, that depth, and, and that's something that Brian talked about as well. You were, you were facing more of an arsenal each of the last three weeks, and he got burned significantly. Maybe this is a little bit of a soft landing spot. And as I say that, some kid will pop up and have a career day in the passing game. I was going to say the counter to that is Wandale Robinson works out of the slot a lot, and that's not been a good spot yeah, for Penn yeah. State. So we'll see. Mark Brennan, by the way, picked Nebraska 24-21 um, going through our picks on the site. You know, pretty even split uh, between Nebraska and Penn State. I mean, like I said, it, it's – it's a game where you're not going to be able to dictate, not going to be able to forecast, excuse me, forecast how things are going to go. So I, I don't know how this one's going to play out. Like I said, we saw Patriots Jets on Monday night and it ended up being a pretty decent game. So maybe we'll get the same from, from Penn State and Nebraska, two teams that are, are winless so far this year. 
If you're looking for uh, an easy uh, result in this game, look away from our predictions. We're all thinking this one hangs in the balance into the final seconds. So a buckle up for that in Lincoln, a noon kickoff. And of course, after that matchup, we will be back with you for a post-game podcast. It'll be nice to, to knock one of those out earlier in the day. It'll be nice for uh, you listeners to be able to maybe listen to that before you go to bed on Saturday as well. Of course, it'll be there waiting for you on Sunday if you want to get to it then. Sean, quickly, we're going to talk about some recruiting because, as I said earlier, there's been some action on the running back trail. Now there's been some some action elsewhere. I, I'll, I'll pass the baton to you because uh, you, you've been, you know, as I've been kind of diving into this game coverage all week, uh, you've done a nice job kind of piecing together where Penn State is looking on, on the 2021 trail. It, it looks like the big emphasis, and we talked about running back earlier in the in the show, um, but uh, big emphasis at defensive end, which is nothing new. I mean, they're still obviously on guys like Davon Townley and George Wilson, the South Carolina commit, has kind of resurfaced as a target, but they've offered some guys out and about, uh, senior risers, if you will, but guys that already had solid offers. I mean, you're talking about guys most of the time that have about two dozen offers. Garen Stansbury in Louisiana, Keith Cooper in Texas, Deontay Anderson got one in Florida yesterday. Deontay Anderson's interesting. Probably not the uh, the blueprint that you're seeing. You know, you've seen a lot of these offers to these guys that are 6'5", mega length. I know Keith Cooper has, I think, an 84-inch wingspan um, being a 6'4 guy, which is pretty 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 impressive. Um, but Deontay Anderson's more of a quicker guy off the off the ball. He's 6'3", listed, so you don't know what that means in this cycle. So um, just giving yourself options at defensive end. I think a couple of these guys, Penn State's their best offer. Uh, where's it going to go from here? I don't know because th- these guys aren't going to be able to visit and take actual visits per se. Maybe some of them get up here on their own, uh, which is something we've heard from from guys like Deshaun Morrell. Uh, also made an, uh, an interesting offer on the offensive line this week. Uh, been a guy in Texas that's been surging upward. Uh, USC, Vandy, and SMU recently offered a Holy Cross commit, Austin UK. Uh, it'll be... Uh, I think Holy Cross might be in trouble. Yeah, I think I I don't really see him sticking with that one. It's been interesting because he he can't fulfill Troutwine at Boston College. So Troutwine kind of has worked with him before and knows what um, he brings to the table. So I thought that was interesting to to see it from that aspect. Um, But yeah, with the the BC camp and the Holy Cross commit, I said, are you up from, are you from the Northeast or something like that? Nope. He's born and raised in Dallas, Texas. And we're going to see where that goes from there. Um, A couple of crystal ball picks in for SMU, but obviously the, uh, with the, USC and Penn State offers, things have gotten a little bit uh, more contentious there. So we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, Penn State, as they approach signing day, still looking to get in on guys, still getting new tape, new testing numbers and everything like that. So haven't given up on the 2021 cycle. It's not been a pretty one. It's been uh, it's pretty been pretty awful to be to be on uh, to be honest with you. Um, but still trying to fill out some numbers and maybe try and unearth some diamonds there, as, as we all often talk about at this time in the uh, in the process. And those offers further reinforce that Penn State staff understands they're going to have to sign some guys who have never been to campus. They're going to have to sign some guys that they have never met in person and shaking mom, shaking mom and dad's hand and uh, met these guys face to face and see what happens when they actually show up on campus as a member of your program. It's a whole new world. Penn State's got to embrace some aspects of it because everybody has to. We had to scrap a bunch of the mailbag, but I did want to hit on one of these questions, Sean, because it's only timely for now. Do you think we'll see Taquan Roberson, the redshirt freshman, for at least a series this Saturday against Nebraska? Hearing good things about the kid behind the scenes, these Sunday scrimmages, I think, to be honest with you, he may be the most promising passer. I think he probably is the most promising passer on this depth chart beyond Sean Clifford. 
long term, maybe. I think maybe December could be a time where you could see him. We'll see how it plays out with Clifford and then maybe Levis. I don't see it happening, though, as soon as this Saturday. I don't see it happening either. I mean, just uh, the circumstances of the game. I mean, you're trying to get a win here, and I know you you obviously want to see what you have in Roberson at some point, but you're just trying to get a win and get out of there. Um, So I don't see it happening this weekend on the road, I think, is another aspect of things. So um, I I would be very surprised if that were to happen. I I would love to see the kid in action. Obviously, you know, we haven't been to practice. There wasn't a spring game. There wasn't anything like that. So we haven't seen much of what's going on. Kid throws a nice ball. Obviously, he's got some some accolades behind him um, as a high school player. But what does that mean right now? Not much. So uh, I think Levis is the guy that you're going to see on Saturday in terms of uh, change of pace or Clifford needs a break or something like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'd be I'd be surprised if it was Roberson. Uh, to be honest with you, I wouldn't hate it, but I'd be surprised if it were Roberson. The fact that we're being asked about the usage of a third-string quarterback and what figures to be a very close matchup on the road for big, uh, in Big Ten football tells you a lot about how this Penn State season has gone and where things are situated going into Week 4. Penn State searching for win number one. We'll be back to cover it all on Saturday with the podcast. In the meantime, between now and then, plenty of coverage coming your way on lines 24-7. Uh, 30% off VIP subscription, $1 for one month to join in the action. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, drop your five-star mailback question in on Apple Podcasts. On behalf of Sean Fitz, thank you again to Brian Christofferson. I'm Tyler Donahue. You've been tuned in to the Lions 24-7 podcast.